Warriors World Champions. The Anaheim Ducks are the Stanley Cup champions. Pitch swinging. Oh, and first pitch crushing. Oh, man. Lean into it. Zegers here. He can Oh, look at this. Oh, he just Welcome to the Catelacast, the number one podcast, in my opinion, that covers your favorite teams linked by Catella Avenue, the Anaheim Ducks, and the Los Angeles Angels. I'm your host, Sai Miyake. Please follow us on Twitter at Catelacast Show. And please listen, share, download, or review this podcast on all platforms. I'd really appreciate it. So let's get into the Angels. Are, are, are they back? Are they good? I don't know. It's a little bit hard to tell. Um, it's the end of April. Well, it is, what day is it today? Thursday, April 28th, as of this recording, so it'll come out on Friday. But currently, the Angels have a record of 13-7, and seven, which, if you don't know, they are a game and a half up on first place on the Seattle Mariners, and they don't have the best record. Well, they have the second best record in the American League. And it's way too early to look at standings. It's way too early to kind of uh, just put it together and think, hey, are the Angels good? Are they a playoff team? Or are they going to regress to the Angels that we're used to in the last few years? And I'm not here to talk about that because I think it's, like I said, it's way too early. But I just wanted to uh, just kind of give some thoughts on this uh win streak and the recent success the Angels are on, which, by the way, they are on a five-game win streak. So, yes, you can say the Angels are going streaking. They are 7-3 in their last 10 games. Those Two of those losses, are, unfortunately, came against the Baltimore Orioles, which I didn't actually watch those first two games that series, so you can't blame me, but I just saw how much everybody complained, and so I just figured, oh, oh my, terrible games. Um, but they swept the Cleveland Guardians, which... Actually, it hasn't been that hard for me to get used to the name change, but they swept the Cleveland Guardians, a team that they have had no success against in the last few years for whatever reason. I don't know. I know that I don't know all the details, but their record against the Guardians is terrible the last few years. And for them to just sweep them and bounce back from especially what was a disappointing series against the Orioles at home, that was huge. And speaking of at home, at the Big A, the fans. The fans have really showed up in the. Uh, in the last homestand. And I think that plays into a big part because we're all used to seeing just empty seats, a lot of green right at the big A once middle of July hits after the All-Star break. And this team is uh, just completely out of the playoff race, right? And it's depressing when you see an empty Angel Stadium, especially when I grew up in the early 2000s, right? Those were the, that was the run of the uh, AL West Division Championships, right? And just the success with the World Series as well. And then making the playoffs every year. Having guys like Vladdy Guerrero. And so seeing a full Angel Stadium, or full for the most part, and just hearing a loud crowd, that just really made me uh, feel a little uh, nice and warm and fuzzy on the inside. And the last thing I want to talk about the Big A was they finally dim the lights and they do a little uh, light show celebration, I guess, if you want to call it, when uh, an Angels player hits a home run, which that, that's been that's been long overdue because they changed the light system a few years ago along with getting the uh, new HD Jumbotrons, 
And I was kind of thinking, okay, um, when they have when they play like Enter well, it's not Enter Salmon anymore, but when they used to play Enter Salmon, right, when the players used to run out, the lights would flicker on and off a little bit, and it was a really high-tech lighting system. And then we saw a lot of teams do that, like especially, you know, the Padres uh, do it as well. Like they do a little uh, light dim show, and the Yankees do it also, I believe. And I was thinking, why don't the Angels do that? And so it, it's small steps, but they're making the fan experience of the Big A a little bit more enjoyable. Uh, oh, and I guess the last thing, I know I already said the last thing, but uh, apparently they have a Angels Twitter or Angels social media suite, and then they invite uh, different members of Angels Twitter or Angels social media to uh, watch the game at the suite. And I think that's a great opportunity and a really uh, cool thing that they do to expand the fan base, right? And so you can meet people that you've talked to on the internet for years sometimes, right? And so I think that's a really cool idea. Um, maybe I'll get invited there one day. I probably say I probably talk too much too much smack on Artie Moreno, and I probably say too many negative things about the Angels. So I probably won't get invited, but you never know. It would be a cool opportunity. Um, but just getting into these into these last ten games and this recent homestand, the the Angels just killed it on. I wanted to. I think I know what the difference is as far as the Angels' success this year and the success in years past. So, right, we've always said that the problem with the Angels is the pitching. And that the lineup will figure itself out, right? The lineup, the hitters are no problem, right? You have Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, Jared Walsh, right? Like those are your big guns and those are your players that you expect to produce on a nightly basis. And so the argument has always been said, once this team gets the pitching, then they'll perform. Well, not only are they getting the pitching, but back to what I was talking about with the lineups. I think that for the first time, first time probably since 2014, the Angels are finally getting, um, they're getting great contribution from the role players. They're finally getting more than above average contribution from the others, right? Like I know that's what that's what Shaq always calls them, calls the role players, right? The others, and so there's specifically I think four other players or four role players that I specifically want to shout out. And so I just pulled up their expected weighted on-base average. And this is from Baseball Savant. And if you don't know what expected weighted on-base average or XWOBA, as uh, they call it with the acronym, basically they just take into account your exit velo, uh, the player's launch angle, and then the sprint speed. And then that is kind of like how they calculate it, right? Expected uh, batting average, expected uh, slugging percentage, but then they also take into consideration right your exit velo, right how hard you hit the ball, your sprint speed as well, which is which is really why I love X Wova because I think you, that's one of the better stats that you can get really the full picture, especially with these guys that are kind of speedy. So Taylor Ward's X Wova. Now, okay, one thing I want to say about X Wova though, really quick before I get into the numbers, um, it also doesn't it also doesn't account like if uh, you hit a you hit a you hit a ball in the gap and then the right fielder or center fielder makes a great diving play, right? That's considered an anomaly. So if you have like a like a ball down the line or a ball in the gap and then the outfielder just chases it down, your ex woba will still go up. So just wanted to clarify that. But all right, let's get into the players. So at number one, as far as the most impactful ex woba on the year, and this is not counting Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Anthony Rendon, Jared Walsh. First one, it's kind of obvious, right? Taylor Ward. I mean, what what an unbelievable hot streak that guy has been on. I mean, it is insane. And Taylor Ward, 
His ex-woba is 509. So that's his expected on base. 509 over 50%. And with Taylor Ward, there have been a lot of people surprised about his success at the plate, but I'm not. Last year when he came up, he changed his swing. He had way better launch angle. Like you could just see that he was just really trying to just drive the ball and just swing and has have an uppercut swing to generate a lot of power. And he just looked more confident. I think that swing just really gave him a lot of a lot more confidence. And it was kind of like when Jared Walsh was going through his little breakout in in September of 2020. And I thought last year was the same thing. Just you could just feel that confidence. And then when they DFA Justin Upton, right, which I called I called 100%. I think that they absolutely needed to do it. And I didn't think Taylor Ward was going to perform as well as he is now, which, I mean, of course, he'll probably regress a little bit. But you shouldn't be surprised, though, at his numbers. Uh, the one thing, I guess, that is catching me by surprise, though, is how patient he is at the plate. And I think, so I was advocating for Brandon Marsh to be the leadoff hitter. Uh, unfortunately, I think Taylor Ward has that leadoff spot. He is just so patient at the plate. I mean, you saw that bases loaded walk that he had, and he said he was taken all the way. Like he just he has that kind of confidence, saying stuff about how oh we'll be in the World Series, which I don't think this I don't think this Angels team is a World Series team. But just for him to go out there and say that, and to just show how much confidence he has at the plate, and just in his overall play in general, and just his demeanor, I think that's huge for this team. And something that's really been lacking for a long time. And so I think Taylor Ward is, number one, the recipe for success, aside from uh, the headliners, right? Like Mike Trout or Otani or Iglesias. Um, then I want to get into Brandon Marsh. So Brandon Marsh's ex-Woba is 379. And so Brandon Marsh had the weird stomach bug that's been going around the Angels in the last couple weeks or uh, beginning of the season. But... As soon as he came back, I mean, he didn't skip a beat. You know, RBI single up the middle and just getting on base any way he can. And then that's why I said I love about Xwoba is that it takes into account the sprint speed. And Brandon Marsh is just fast. And he was hitting second today in the day game. And I don't know if I necessarily want him to hit second now. I think I think maybe having Otani in front of Trout might help still. But having a guy like Taylor Ward in front of them, I think, will unlock... Uh, Otani and Trout but Brandon Marsh has typically been hitting kind of like lower in the lineup like in the sixth hole and I think that's great I think that's a great way to like balance out the lineup and really diversify it so it's not so top heavy because that was the problem in that Houston series I mean, the lineup was incredibly top heavy uh, and then now another outfielder right Joe Adele so his ex-woba has been for this year is 322 and I was hard on Joe Adele a lot of people were hard on Joe Adele after that first Houston series. I mean, it wasn't good, right? Striking out a whole bunch, chasing a lot of bad pitches. And then he had his mis his miscues in the outfield, which he hasn't had any lately, knock on wood. But you know they're, they're going to they're gonna come eventually, right? The strikeouts and the errors in the outfield is just what's going to come, what you're going to get from Joe Adele sometimes. But he when he connects the ball, I mean, he is hitting, he's hitting the stuffing out, out of the ball. It's been incredible. His exit velo is up. His launch angle is up this year. And with Joe Adele, I, I really think that the Angels have a, a good problem on their hands with Taylor Ward and Joe Adele because I think Brandon Marsh, you're just going to play him in every day just because he has the speed, he has the better glove, and he gets on base, right? But we'll, we'll get into the Taylor Ward and Joe Adele discussion and what the, I think the Angels should do. Uh, so you got Joe Adele with the x of 322. And then Andrew Velasquez, shout out to the squid. I mean, this guy, as soon as he's come in, 
he was really like the missing the missing piece, right? They come out of that rough series against Houston, and then they're kind of still squandering, and then David Fletcher has his hip injury, and then all of a sudden Andrew Vlasquez shows up, and his ex-woba is 340. 340. And this is a guy who doesn't hit the ball very hard, but he's fast. And you could see that Velasquez, and also shout out to Tyler Wade as well, you could see that having when Velasquez and Wade are hitting back-to-back in the lineup, I mean, it just creates so many runs. You see, uh, it happened on Thursday, right? You see uh, players bobbling ground balls, and then one, as soon as they bobble a ground ball, then you know that uh, one of those two guys are going to be safe, no matter what base they're going to. And it really just puts a lot of added mental pressure on the fielders. And that split second, especially in baseball, is so important. And it's something that I just have loved this team. They have a lot of speed and they're hit and they have a small ball element to them. They're not just waiting for Mike Trout or Otani or Walsh or Rendon to hit a home run. They ha- they're able to string hits together. And that's a thing that, like I said, I think that's been really lacking for the Angels and been a problem in their lineups. And we talk about, right? The hitting isn't the problem, but it has been in the last few years. You just As soon as you get past Trout and Otani in years past, then all of a sudden the Angels are done. They can't score any runs. And so I just think that the contribution from the others is really just taking the Angels over the top. And um, it's a great, great sign to see this team uh, take a lot of positive steps. So I talked a lot about hitting. I uh, just wanted to briefly touch on the pitching. Uh, shout out to Shohei Otani for not having his best stuff against in the, against the uh, Guardians. But I think, and I tweeted this during the game, was that 2018, when Otani doesn't really have all of his lights out stuff, I don't think he can quickly adjust and say, okay, my fastball is really working for me still, and I'm still able to locate it and throw it hard enough where I could just lean on one pitch and then kind of grind myself into a W, right? I don't think 2018 Shohei Otani was capable of doing that. And it just shows the development that he's made as a pitcher, which his struggles at the plate, that's a whole nother conversation. And personally, I think that he focused a lot more on pitching because he knew that that's what the Angels have lacked in recent years. And I mean, he hit 46 home runs last year, right? If you, would you focus more on something that your team needs more or something that you're something that your team already has right in a great offense and so i think he'll figure it out at the plate eventually he just needs to stop the stinking hitching and bailing out of the box and moonwalking out of the box but whatever um i thought patrick sandoval again amazing finally starting to get the change up down or not the change up but He's just finally starting to get the fastball location down, and then that just sets up his changeup a lot better. Oliver Ortega, been solid. Uh, the back end, guys in the bullpen, unbelievable. No change there. Uh, shout out to Reed Detmers today. He got his first win and pitched a lot better. I mean, he had a, little, a lot of inflated counts, but it's, it's Reed Detmers. I mean, he's a young pitcher. He's 22 years old, and this is a great encouraging sign for him. So there really isn't much to say as far as negatives for the Angels, which is good, right? For once, we need to have some positivity around the Angels. And it's something that I need to need to adjust as well because I have been very critical and very negative of this team. Uh, just want to briefly touch on the team totals so far. So these are just the overall Major League rankings. Uh, the Angels are second in home runs with 25 behind the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they have 26 home runs, so that's good right there. Uh, RBI, Angels are actually leading the league in RBI with 94. Uh, runs, Angels are leading the league in runs in 99, kind of makes sense. Um, and then slugging percentage, the Angels are number one 
in the majors in slugging percentage with a 428 slugging percentage as a team. So if you're number one in slugging, um, RBIs and runs, and then also they're number one in OPS as well with the 761. That just tells me how much the offense is firing in all cylinders. And I like I said, with these contributions from the young guys, I mean, you know, is is Taylor Ward gonna have a 509 X Woba the rest of the season? Probably not, but it's an encouraging sign in the right direction. And it just shows that this team is diversified and that they have multiple ways to win. Uh, where they could string together hits and get a keep a rally going, which is something that the Angels have not done in years past. And so I'm really proud of this team so far. Um, just want to get into the pitching side as well. The Angels are fourth in whip with a 1.10. Uh, the leader in whip this year, unfortunately, is the Los Angeles Dodgers with a 0 .90 whip. And so the Angels, they're not far away. I mean, they're number four, so they're not far away from number one at all, which if, I, if you were to tell me that the Angels were top five in whip towards the end of April, I probably would just laugh at you. Uh, ERA, the Angels are, let's see, they are 18th in ERA with a 3.69 ERA. So that's not, I mean, that's not great, right? You're not at least 50%, but still, they're close, right? I mean, the difference between 18th and 13th is only a 0.2 in ERA, which is a pretty minuscule difference. So I don't know. I just think that, the Angels have really shown that this team has taken some steps forward. Now, again, it's early, right? They could still mess up. Uh, they haven't really, knock on wood, had any major injuries yet. So it's, right, baseball is a war of attrition. And so hopefully this team could just stay healthy, keep it going, and maybe surprise me. Maybe they might actually have a chance to make the playoffs this year. But there's one problem that I've seen with this team. And that is the starting rotation. And specifically, it's can do we do the Angels have enough? Do they have enough quality arms or enough arms that can be stretched out and not give the bullpen too much work? And specifically, I'm talking about a guy like Jose Suarez, which unfortunately I don't I don't think Suarez has it. I I don't I would be very surprised if he's still in the rotation by the end of June, which. Kind of brings me to another point. Uh, the Angels have a bit of a logjam in the outfield, and we kind of we've talked about this in past episodes, and we've kind of known that this was going to happen, especially even with the DFA of Justin Upton. But Mike Trout is going to play center field, right? As long you know, as long as he can, and then Brandon Marsh is going to take up another corner out or one of the corner outfield spots, and then you have Taylor Ward and Joe Adele. Well, as much as I want the Angels to play Joe Adele every day, uh, you can't really take out Taylor Ward's dominance at the plate so far. And especially that he's really fit in as a leadoff hitter, you can't take him out of the lineup now. And so that, that relegates Joe Adele to the bench, which I think is the right call, 100%. You need to have Taylor Ward playing every day and Brandon Marsh playing every day at the rate that they're going. But now what do they do? Well, there's another logjam on the team, and that's the middle infield. Right, Andrew Velasquez really has really stepped up and taken over for David Fletcher with Fletcher's uh, hip injury. He's scheduled to come back, I think, tomorrow or today, pretty soon in this White Sox series coming up. But you still have uh, Tyler Wade, who could play all over the place. You still have Matt Duffy, and you still have Jack Mayfield, who I think Jack Mayfield might be the one that they would send down back to Salt Lake once David Fletcher returns and is activated off the IL. But real, honestly. If they trade Joe Adele and David Fletcher for a proven starting pitcher, 
somebody like Tyler Mallet, or maybe you have to add some more prospects or some more picks and try to get uh, some of the Miami pitches, right? Like uh, Sandy Alcantara, or I don't, I don't think they can get Pablo Lopez, but they just they need to package away, in my opinion, Joe Adele and David Fletcher, add in some picks in there as well. And just, they need to get an established starting pitcher. I think that this team is an established starting pitcher, a proven starting pitcher away from making the playoffs, or at least contending for one of the expanded uh, playoff spots. I know there's not really a wild card. Well, I guess, yeah, or a wild card spot. But I don't know. I just, I don't see a place for David Fletcher on this team. And I'm, I'm going, going into it a little bit. I understand he's a fan favorite and he's from Orange County, but you need to let that go. I mean, Velasquez, a much better defender than David Fletcher, who, or I wouldn't say a much better defender, but there's no drop-off, really, in terms of defense. I think he's a more natural shortstop than Fletcher is, and he's a lot faster. That's the thing is that people don't realize, or some people don't realize that Fletch really isn't that fast. But you have Wade and Velasquez who are like in the 98th or 99th sprint speed percentile and they're just flying down the bases and making contributions on the base pass. And Fletch doesn't really give you that. And then you add in the fact that Tyler Wade has the immense versatility that Fletch has, and he's cheaper. I mean, why why wouldn't you uh, why wouldn't you have these guys instead of David Fletcher? And then you can see the the win and loss results. And I mean, it's not to say that David Fletcher is the reason why the Angels were losing to Houston in the beginning, but it, it's just something to think about. And so I think that if they can just maximize Joe Adele's trade value and David Fletcher's trade value and get somebody like Tyler Malley in into the Angels rotation and have him step in for someone like Suarez, because I think Detmers is good enough where he can stay hopefully the whole season. But I mean, just think about it. If you can have Malley in there instead of Suarez, this is a playoff team. This is 100% to me is a playoff team unless there's some major catastrophic injuries. And that's why I think the Cincinnati Reds and especially Tyler Malley are such an intriguing trade option because I don't know if anybody's seen the pictures at uh, the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati the last week or so. It's dead empty, and they're in a clear and total rebuild, right? They traded away pretty much all of their established players, right? They let Castellanos go. They traded away Moose, Winker uh, to Seattle, or no, they traded Winker away to Seattle. Um, Oh, they traded Eugenio Suarez, right, to, to the Mariners as well. And so the Reds are clearly rebuilding, and I don't know why they won't just trade the way Tyler Malley. I don't want Luis Castillo. I think he gets injured too much. But just something to think about, Joe Adele and David Fletcher for Tyler Malley. Make it happen. Throw in some picks in there. I don't know how, Perry. Just work your, work your magic, right? You fleeced the Reds already before. I don't know how you got them to accept Noe Ramirez for Rysel Iglesias. But if you can do that, I mean, I think you can get Tyler Malley for a discounted price hopefully you never know but just huge shout out to the angels i'm trying to be more positive it's a little bit hard sometimes just given their recent history but yeah i'm really intrigued by the angels and so uh couldn't have asked for a better start to the season and just hopefully they can keep that momentum going now let's talk about the anaheim ducks and what an amazing pregame ceremony the ducks had for ryan getzloff's final home game or final final game of his career and yes they lost to st louis pretty bad but what a way for him to go out a no look backhand pass to a wide open adam, adam henrique who puts it in a wide open goal i mean that's that is the most getzloff play 
of all time. And that's one of the best ways for him to go out. I mean, obviously, a Stanley Cup would have been great. But considering the circumstances and considering the Ducks are still in a full rebuild and still terrible, just having having one last moment of Getzloff passing magic like that, I mean, that to me, that was perfect, given the, given the circumstances. And shout out to uh, Timo Solani driving out on the Honda Center ice with that Honda... Not an ATV. I don't even know what you call that Land Cruiser, Land Rover thing, with decked out ducks colors and the number fifteen. I mean, that was just so cool. And having his family out there. But I'm not really gonna talk too much about the Getzloff stuff. So I'll get into that when I release the uh, number fifth or the top fifteen moments of Ryan Getzloff's career. I'll talk a little bit more about the his final game there, but. There has been some news regarding the Anaheim Ducks, and so I'm not going to get into the games. I mean, lost to the Kings again, which was kind of expected. Uh, they did beat San Jose pretty good, though. And that, I mean, San Jose is not a very good team, but I thought that was one of the Ducks' better efforts they've put in all season. And it was really cool because I wasn't sure how they were going to play, considering that Getzloff wasn't on the team anymore. He already retired. And were the Ducks just going to pack it in? But no, I mean, they... That was one of their most consistent 60-minute efforts I think they played all season. And shout out to Anthony Stolarz. He was just phenomenal in that game. And I think he's I think he's really making it interesting for next year. Because I've said this before in the show. I don't think John Gibson is staying around. I think he's going to either demand a trade or just softly ask the Ducks to get to trade him. And I think they're going to honor that request. So if the Ducks goaltending situation next year is Anthony Stolarz and Lucas Dostal just kind of doing a perfect 41-41, 50-50 split. I would, I would totally be in favor for it, right? This is a rebuilding team. I'm not expecting them to make the playoffs next year. And I think that they can get a nice little haul for Gibby. But um, let's talk about some real news for the Ducks. So Sam Carrick, it was recently announced, I think a couple days ago now, Sam Carrick has signed a two-year extension with the Anaheim Ducks. And... I was a little surprised that this happened in season. It was kind of a no-brainer to me that they were going to extend Sam Carrick. And uh, right now he was on a one-year $750,000 contract with the Ducks. And he gets a little bit of a pay upgrade, which was actually a lot less than I was thinking. So it was signed with uh, GM, new GM Pat Verbeek for a two-year contract worth $1.7 million. So you split that up. Uh, for the 2022 and 2023 season, he is making $850,000. And then, of course, for the 23 and 24 season, he is also making $850,000. And that is his cap hit. That is, to me, that is like the perfect contract for a fourth line center. And while the Ducks, it's been kind of a joke that they've been rolling out these fourth line players. The sad thing is that Sam Carrick is one of those few players that actually fits the role and fits the mold of a fourth-line player. And I think that he's just going to make a much bigger impact on the Ducks next year. Uh, he's a little bit older, uh, age 30, been, I guess, sort of a late bloomer, if you will. But he's somebody that you need on a rebuilding team to just somebody that knows their role, right, and knows what they what they bring to this team. And some, somebody that doesn't want to do too much. They just want to show up to the rink every day, work hard, and then go home. And I think that that's something that you really need to have to rub off on the younger on the younger players, right? Because he's been around, I mean, like I said, he's 30 years old. He's been around, not around the NHL for a while, but he's paid his dues. He's played in the AHL for a really long time. Uh, he was the former captain of the San Diego Goals, so you also have the leadership in there. 
And I mean, no complaints from me. Solid 100% A-plus signing. And once again, I think Pat Verbeek just, he's a great GM. It's just so, so nice to not have somebody, somebody named Bob Murray being the GM of the Ducks, especially with all of the things that came out about him with the workplace abuse, alcoholism, all of that. So shout out to uh, Pat Verbeek for getting that done. And then there was another, there's a big nugget of news that came out for the Ducks in the last couple of days. And it was something that I've talked about a little bit, but not too much. But this great article came out, uh, written by Elliot Tiford, and the headline just kind of says it all. Ducks, Max Comtois, ready for embarrassing season to end. And you could, I mean, there was just a lot of frustration around Comtois this year. And he was getting scratched. There were trade rumors, like there was there was rumors out there that his agent asked for a trade at, at one point near the deadline, and he wasn't consistent. He had that wrist injury or a hand injury that I think in the beginning of the season probably messed him up and then just kind of set him off of this bad season that he had. And then he also got COVID in there as well. And uh, I just want to, there's just some really interesting points to this article where He's really frank, and I, I love this about Max. I think he's a really emotional player, and you need that, right, for the Ducks, especially for this young team. And it's just really nice and refreshing to see a young player who really cares about his game and he wants to get better. Because you got to remember, this is the leading goal scorer last year. And so, yeah, I mean, there are injuries and some excuses, but it was a very disappointing season for him. So he says... It's just an embarrassing season for me. It was hard. It was depressing. Right now, I just want to play good. I want to do my own thing and not be afraid to make plays out there. That's just the mindset I have right now. I think it's working. And I think it's working as well. Um, the last few games that he's played, he scored a couple goals. Um, and I think he just really plays that perfect north and south game that the Ducks have recently or have played in a long time. But he has that goal-scoring flair, right? He goes to the net. He, again, like a Sam Carrick, he knows his role, right? Comtois isn't going to go around and try to dangle you. You put him with skilled players, and you just tell him, hey, just go up and down the ice, drive to the net, and uh, you have a really nice uh, snapshot, really nice wrist shot, and just shoot your heart out at the goal, at the goal, and you might score a few. And then if you play him with skilled players, right, if you play him with a Trevor Zegers or with a Troy Terry or – Somebody with skill, not named Sam Steele, for example, hey, he might score some more. And um, on that note of the San Jose game, I actually thought that that was probably Comtois' best game. He had a goal and assist in that in that 5-2 win over the Sharks. And it was just the – it felt like, okay, Comtois' back. Like the 2020-2021 Max Comtois is kind of reemerging a little bit, right? And um, – I just love his attitude in this article and how he can really be himself, but he's not blaming he's not blaming it on injuries. He's not blaming it on himself or Dallas Aikens. Um, he says, okay, some other thing he said in the article. He says, we can talk about injuries. We can talk about a lot of excuses. I think I just never got my feet under me. Part of it, I didn't play a whole lot. I think Tuesday was my 50th game. It took me a while to get started. I was in my head for a while. I didn't have fun. Coming to the rink was like a pain in the pain in the you know what. Right now, I'm just tr enjoying the last couple of games and trying to play good and build something up for the summer. With the way I'm playing right now, I think it's in the right direction. So that's good. I again, I love Comtois. He is one of my favorite ducks this year, and so it was just so infuriating for me that he 
that he just was getting scratched all the time. Now, if it, if I think the mental toll is something that I, that fans and myself didn't really consider as much, but if it was playing such a big deal and if, right, the coaching staff can see that around him, then they have every right to bench him and to just, you know, put out the best players. But how can you, again, how can you raise a player's confidence, though, if you keep scratching it, if you keep putting him up in the press box? And that plays again to the rant that I had about Dallas Aikens before, where he was telling members of the media that he thought Trevor Zegers was weak and hit the rookie wall and he looks frail. How is that building confidence, then? How are you building confidence when your leading goal scorer, who was injured and missed a few games, now he all of a sudden can't break into the lineup really over somebody like Buddy Robinson or Sam Steele or other players who don't have an NHL future when this was your leading goal scorer last year. And so hopefully I don't think Comtois is going to get traded, um, but he has one year left on his contract and it's going to be a huge summer for him. It's going to be a huge offseason because he needs to get that payday, right? And he'll be extra motivated uh, to get the bag. And I'm all for it, 100%. I think Max Comtois, if you play him with skilled players and he doesn't have the setbacks in the beginning of the season, I think he would have picked right right where he left off last year. And yeah, I just, I really love this article. And it really, I think especially in hockey, right, we need to really grow the game more. I think if we keep showing the personalities of these young players, and especially a guy who is even lesser known among Duck fans, than just regular NHL fans, right? Because I think Max Comtois, while he is a popular player, we don't really know much about him, right? And this just shows the mindset that he has and why I think that he's been a real perfect fit with the Ducks culture and their mindset ever since he first stepped foot on the ice those couple, those few years ago when he had his first goal in his first game against San Jose, right? It felt like decades ago. But I love that article. I think it's an encouraging sign for him going forward. And the Ducks play one more game against the Dallas Stars. And thank the Lord, thank the Lord, the Vegas Golden Knights missed the playoffs. Hopefully that means Dallas just sits everybody and then Trevor Zegers can get five points or Troy Terry can go on a bender and get to 40 goals or something like that. But hopefully that happens. Uh, oh, Tre with Trevor Zegers, shout out to him. Uh, 60 points for the Ducks rookie points record, which I don't know if that's going to get broken. I mean, I mean, it eventually may, might will, but I don't know. 60 points from a Ducks rookie is pretty, pretty unbelievable and really good for a guy who, again, his head coach was saying that he was weak. He was hitting a rookie wall and he's frail. Well, if he's frail and he can get 60 points as a rookie, I mean, the sky's the limit, obviously, for Trevor Zegers. And so I'm just so excited for the future of this team. A lot of off-season talk. I want to, again, I need to talk about... Uh, the top 15 moments for me in Ryan Getzloff's career. Uh, just do an overall season recap and then get into the offseason, get into the draft. We know the Ducks are going to be picking pretty high, hopefully. And then free agency. I mean, they have a lot of cap space. I, don't, I still don't think they'll be big spenders, but this is a very exciting, intriguing team uh, to look at the future with. And I'm just so excited with what the Ducks are going to do in the offseason. It's really been keeping me going and keeping uh, my enthusiasm up for this team because the, the win-loss results haven't been there. But thank you all for listening again. You can find the Catelicast available on all platforms, uh, Spot, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, uh, RSS feed, any, any podcasting platform, Amazon, Samsung, it's probably on there. 
And uh, please leave a rating. Please leave a review. Five stars only. You can put five stars in and just roast the hell out of me. That's totally fine. I don't care. I can take it. Um, but yeah, please rate, review, subscribe, download, give it a thumbs up, give it a listen. And again, you can follow the show on Twitter at Catelacast Show. Again, that's at Catelacast Show. And thank you so much for the support. Um, haven't really had the big breakthrough yet, but just seeing consistent followers and consistent listens and consistent downloads on the RSS analytics feed has just been really cool to watch. This is the first time I've ever been podcasting and I just kind of jumped into the deep end because I love the angels and love the ducks and love talking about them. So I figured why not just do this for fun as a little hobby. So thank you again for everybody who's listened to the show. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. Let's go angels. Let's go ducks. I'll see you in the next episode.